0: Good morning. It is so good to be here on the Lord's Day. We are thankful for your presence today. We are glad that you came to be with us at the Willow Avenue Church of Christ. Today, of course, is Christmas Day, and because of that, I know we have some people that are visiting. We are glad that you are in our midst. We hope you'll be back tonight at 6 o'clock. We also have a lot of people who are gone today, maybe who are visiting family, who are out of town, and um, Also, because of the weather, it's been so very cold. I know that we have some people who are probably not here because of that. In fact, when I drove in this morning, it looked so empty in the parking lot, and I saw the ice, and and it made me think of a story that I had once heard about a preacher who was at a brand new job. He was at a small congregation in the country, and his very first Sunday there, it came a heavy snow. Well, since he lived right next door to the building in the preacher's house, he went ahead and walked over, not knowing if anyone would show up. Well, one farmer rode his tractor to the services, and so the preacher was there, the farmer was there, and he looked around and he said, should I preach? And the farmer said, well, I'm just an old farmer, he said, but I know this, if I get ready to feed the cows and only one shows up, he said, I still feed her, and the preacher said, well, I like that, so... The preacher got to preaching, and he preached, and he preached, and he preached over an hour. And he got done, and he asked the farmer, he said, well, what did you think of my first sermon? And he said, I don't know. I'm just an old farmer. He said, I know if I get ready to feed the the cows and only one shows up, I still feed her, but I don't feed her the whole load. (laughs) So, well, this morning, we're not going to get the whole load. We're going to start this morning in Psalm 51. I suppose that one of the most painful and troublesome emotions that we as human beings ever experience is that of regret. How would you define regret? Regret is that feeling of remorse that I get when I remember, when I review in my mind things from the past that I wish that I had not done, things that I wish that I had not said, things that if I could go back and do it over, I would do it differently. Now, sometimes regret is small. Sometimes it's something that I just wish I hadn't done. Maybe it's a purchase. Maybe you kick yourself. You know, maybe you have what we call buyer's remorse. I wish I hadn't bought that new cell phone. You know, it just, it costs too much money. But in the scheme of things, it really doesn't make a big difference and life goes on. Sometimes regret, however, is serious. And probably all of us have things that we look back upon our lives and We wish that we had not done. They grieve us so very deeply, and we think, why did I do that? If I could only go back, I would do it differently. But we can't go back. We can't change those things. We can only affect the future. You know, that is one of the great blessings about being a gospel preacher, is you get to help people live in such a way that they don't experience more regret. You know, in many ways, the work of a preacher is rather intangible because if a person responds to the gospel, a person becomes a Christian, you can't really say that you did it. I guess you had a role in it, but people don't respond to you. They respond to the gospel. But as a preacher, you can really take joy in the fact that when you preach the word and people listen to it, there are certain acts that are sinful that they will not commit. And as a result they would look back and regret those things. And as a preacher, there are things that, as you teach the Word, people will do these things, maybe with reference to their family, maybe with reference to their service to the Lord, that later they will be glad that they did, and they will never regret. This morning, we're going to talk about the subject of regret from Psalm chapter 51, and we're going to start by reading this together. This is David. David writes, Psalm 51 and verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. Now listen to what he says. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Listen to verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a steadfast spirit. It's generally agreed upon by Bible scholars and students of the Psalms that David is writing this at a time when he's thinking about the sin he committed with Bathsheba. Now, prior to David's sin with Bathsheba, he is referred to in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 13 and verse 14. In the New Testament, in Acts 13, 22, the Bible looks back upon this time prior to his sin, and he's called a man after God's own heart. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, you read about David's sin that he commits with Bathsheba. And of course, you know the story. David sees Bathsheba, and she's bathing herself, and he lusts after her, and he sins for her. And she comes to him, and he commits adultery, and she becomes pregnant. And then he decides he has to cover it up. And so he sends for Uriah to come home so that he will go into his wife. But, of course, Uriah doesn't do that. And David's frustrated. And finally, in desperation to cover up his sin, he says, I'm going to send him into the heat of the battle. And when he gets there, he tells his army to pull back from him so that Uriah is killed. And in essence, he murders Uriah. That's what the Bible charges him with is murder Do you suppose that after all of this happened, that David sits down and he writes the words to Psalm 51, and he says, my sin is ever before me, and he's thinking back to what he's done and about all of these things that's haunting him. Do you think it's at that moment that he writes these words? You know, actually the Bible doesn't tell us when he wrote this. Maybe it's later. Maybe it's after he gets caught. You remember the prophet Nathan comes to him, and Nathan says to David, I need to talk to you, king. He said, I need to tell you a story. He said, the story is about a particular man, and this man was rich. This man had lots of flocks and herds, and he had sheep and lambs, and he said, but this rich man had a visitor come to visit him, and he wanted to prepare a great meal, a feast for his friend, but there was a poor man who lived nearby. This man had very little, but he had one little ewe lamb who was like a pet to him. He said he loved it, and he would hold it on his breast, and he treated it like a daughter, and, and he, this lamb was very dear to him. But this rich man, instead of drawing from his herd, he went to this poor man's house and he stole his ewe lamb and he took it back and he slaughtered it and he killed it and he served it as a feast to his guest. And as David heard this, he was getting very, very angry and in fact, The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 5, and David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, just picture David. As he's listening to this, he's getting madder and madder. He's thinking, who would do such a thing as this? And he says to to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man that has done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he has done this thing and has no pity. He says, How dare someone do such a thing as this? David is outraged. And in verse number seven, Nathan says to David, You. Are that man. You see, David was the man to whom God had given the kingdom. He had given him riches. He had given him all the power. But here's Uriah the Hittite. He's a good man. He's a loyal man. He's just a soldier. He doesn't have much. But David came and he stole his wife and he killed him with the sword. Maybe it's right then. After Nathan confronts him and David's heart is pricked, maybe it's then that he sat down and wrote the words, created me a clean heart, O God. Maybe then he's experiencing regret to the point that he writes, my sin is ever before me. You know, it seems to me, and this is just an opinion because the Bible doesn't say this, but it seems like maybe it's not right then. It seems like some time has passed because David says, my sin is ever before me. This sounds like somebody who's had quite a bit of time to ponder this thing and to feel the enormity of what he has done. So when might it have been that David wrote Psalm 51? Maybe it's when the child died. You remember Bathsheba's pregnant. She does give birth to this child. It's David's child. The child lives for just a little while, and David is grieving, and then the child dies. Maybe it's then that David sits down and writes these words, My sin is ever before me. Or maybe, maybe it's later. Maybe it's when David's son Amnon raped his half-sister, Tamar. Now you might say, what does that have to do with David's sin? You might remember in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 10... The Lord said to David, Now therefore the sword will not depart from your house forever, because you have despised me, and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you in your own house. That is, the Lord said... All of these terrible things are going to happen to you. You're going to have turmoil in your own house, and it's because of the sin that you committed with Bathsheba and murdering her husband. Maybe this is part of it. Maybe when this happens, David sits down and writes these words. Or maybe it's later. Maybe it is when his son Absalom rebels against him and decides he's going to steal the throne of his father and goes after him in battle. Maybe as this is happening, David is thinking, my sin is ever before me. I can't get away from this. It just continues to haunt me. Or maybe it's a little bit later. Maybe it is during the rebellion and it gets to the point that David's men have to kill his son Absalom, they had to do it. And as David is weeping over his son, 2 Samuel 18 and verse 33, he says, Oh, my son Absalom, my son Absalom, would to God that I had died for thee, oh Absalom, my son, my son. Maybe it's then, as his son is dead, and he's looking back over all of these things, maybe he says, my sin is forever before me. Would you notice that David says, My sin and not my sins. It is my judgment that David has a particular sin in mind. And he is thinking about the sin that he committed with Bathsheba. And when you read the pronouncement that God made upon David as a result of that sin, therefore the sword shall not depart from your house, you realize that that sin with Bathsheba was the source of David's trouble for the rest of his life. My sin is ever before me. And David lived with regret. How many times do you think David thought to himself, I wish I would not done that. Oh, if I could go back, I would do it differently. But you know, that's the thing about regret. It's always in the past. You can't go back and change it. It doesn't matter how much you cry about it. It doesn't matter how badly the memory pains you. How about some other examples of regret in the Scripture? How about Adam and Eve? Here's Genesis chapter 2. Adam and Eve were told to dress and keep the garden, but the Lord said, there is one thing you cannot do. You cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you do, you will surely die. The word die there means separated. You're going to be separated from God. But the Bible says over in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that Eve was deceived in the transgression. She bought the lie of the devil... The devil said, in the day that you eat the fruit, you shall not surely die. And Eve partook of the fruit, and she gave it to Adam. They're banished from the garden. As a result of that, God told Adam, you are going to work by the sweat of your brow. You're going to wrestle with the briars and the thistles as you farm. He told Eve, you're going to face pain in childbearing. They are banished from paradise. They're banished from the garden. Do you suppose there were times after they were out of the garden that they sat down together and they talked and said, why did we do that? Why didn't we just listen to God? He told us not to eat of that fruit. It was such a simple thing. Why? And think about this. The religious world teaches that we inherit the guilt of Adam's sin. While that is not true... It is the case that there are some consequences of Adam's sin that have been passed on to all of humanity. Death entered this world because of Adam's sin. How would you like to have that on your heart forever? Or how about this? How about Genesis chapter 6? The Bible says that the sons of God married the daughters of men. What that means is godly men married ungodly women, and as a result of that, they had children. And these children were, after a couple of generations, they were wicked. They did not love the Lord. And the Bible says it got to the point that every imagination of the thoughts of their heart were only evil continually. And the Lord said, I am going to destroy this people that I have created. But verse 8 says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Have you ever thought about, for the next 120 years, the things that Noah endured in his years of preaching? Telling people, you've got to repent, you've got to get on this this ark, because there's going to be a flood. The Bible indicates it probably had never rained up to that point in time. And he's saying, there's going to be a rain that's going to be so great, it's going to flood the world, and everyone's going to die. Don't you know people said, Noah, you're a crazy man. Noah, if there is a flood, I've got a boat. I'll get in my boat. Noah, if there's a flood, I'll go up on the mountain. Noah, stop your nonsense. But then the rain started. How long do you think it was before these people regretted their decision not to get on the ark? I heard one preacher say that he's always thought about the ark this way. As the last person was dying, he's thought about the the ark being covered by scratch marks of people clawing, trying to get in. You know what he's talking about here? People who regretted their decision. Do you suppose it was that way? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. How about this? How about Numbers chapter 13? Here's Israel. And God says to them, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. I'm going to give you the promised land. It is a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And so the children of Israel get right to the edge of the land. They send in 12 spies. And for 40 days, they search out the land. And they come back and they say... It is a great land. It is flowing with milk and honey. But 10 of the spies said, there's a problem, though. We can't take this land. They said the problem is the people who live in this land, they are giants. They are huge. They said we're like grasshoppers in their sight. That's where we get the phrase today, grasshopper complex. They said there is no way we can beat these people. But two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, Of course we can take this land. It's not going to be us that's fighting. God is going to fight for us. God is going to give us this land. It doesn't matter how big these folks are. We just have to trust in God. But the people wouldn't believe. And as a result of that, the Lord said, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. One year for each day the spies were in the land. And he said, everyone who is 20 years old and older... You're going to die in the wilderness, and you will never get to enter the promised land. Those age 19 and below, they will get to go into the promised land, but they're going to be 40 years old before they ever... or they're going to be 60 years old before they get to enter. He said the only exception is going to be Joshua and Caleb because they trusted God. I want you to think about these folks, how they felt wandering in the wilderness for all of those years knowing they're going to die in the wilderness, knowing they could have been in the promised land if they had only trusted God. Don't you know they look back on that day with regret? Or how about this? How about Matthew chapter 27? Here's Judas. Judas decided he's going to betray Jesus. And so he goes and he knocks at the door of the enemies. And can't you imagine the surprise when they open the door? Who are you? I'm Judas. I'm one of the disciples of Jesus. I know where he is. And if you're interested, maybe we can make some kind of a deal. Matthew twenty six fifteen, he said, What will you give me if I will deliver him unto you? And they made a deal. They gave him money. They gave him silver. And Judas then took them to Jesus. And Judas betrayed him with a kiss. And almost immediately, Judas began to regret what he had done. In fact, his regret motivated him to do a couple of things. Number one, it motivated him to take the money back. He went back to them and he said, I've sinned, I shouldn't have done this. Matthew 27, 4. They said, what is that to us? Essentially, what they were saying is, that's your problem. We don't care about you. And you can see his frustration because he threw the silver down. It burned his hand with regret. And then the second thing that he does is he went out And he bought a piece of rope, and he tied one end around his neck, and he tied the other end around the branch of a tree, and he bailed out. And apparently, he jumped over a cliff, and the rope broke. I don't know if it broke immediately, or if he hung some period of time until it rotted and he broke. But he falls, his body hits the ground, and Acts chapter 1 says that his bowels gushed out, and he burst asunder. And Peter makes the observation in Acts chapter 1 that Judas went to his own place and it would have been better off for him that he never had been born. The point is, he died and he went to torment. And for the last 2,000 years, he's had to think about his decision to betray the Lord and regret. How about this one? 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, the Bible tells us about a man who was named Demas. He was a traveling partner to the apostle Paul. He was a gospel preacher. But Paul says, Demas has forsaken me because he loved this present world. Demas gave up on, on Christianity. He gave up on Christ. He gave up on Paul, and he lost his soul. If you could go into the realms of torment this morning and talk to Demas and ask him, Demas, are you glad that you held to this world? Demas, are you glad that you forsook Paul and the gospel to pursue material things? Don't you know he would say, no, 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 if I could only go back. Brethren, if every person in this room this morning could know what Demas knows, there would not be a person present today who is not a faithful New Testament Christian. Here is one more wonderful passage of Scripture. You can't get this kind of insight anywhere else than what God gives us here. There is a story about life after death, and we all want to know about this. The story is about two men who died. One is a rich man who was unfaithful to God, and the other is a poor man who was a faithful servant of the Lord. His name is Lazarus. The Bible says that the rich man died and he lifted up his eyes in torment and he sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Verse 24, he cries and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Of course, that couldn't happen because there is a great gulf between them. People can't cross from one side to the other. And Abraham says something to him that is very interesting in relation to this sermon this morning. Because look at verse number 25. Abraham says to the rich man who is suffering, he says, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted and you are tormented. But I want you to notice the word remember. Because That word, in this context, is really quite disturbing. When you think about the fact that this man in torment can remember this earth. Friends, you think you've got regrets now? I want to suggest to you that this man, for 2,000 years, he is in torment and he is suffering And, you know, I've had times in life when I've been hot and I've been miserable, but I can't ever remember being so miserable that I thought one drop of water on the tip of my tongue would make a difference. But for 2,000 years, he's been suffering not only in the flames, but he's suffering because he can remember. He can remember that short little span of time that he lived on this earth. I don't know how long it was, 50, 60, 70 years. They didn't live as long then as we do now. And so maybe he lived to be 80, but a short little span of time. And now for 2,000 years, he's been suffering in torment because he chose this world. Because he chose materialism. He knew about Lazarus, but he didn't have any compassion. And now he suffers... And he remembers. And there is no doubt if he could go back, he would do it differently. You know what he's doing? He's regretting. And I guess his regret and his memory has got to be about as hot as the flames of hell. In fact, don't you know that's part of torment? And I suspect that this is only my opinion, but I suspect he remembers opportunities that he had to repent. Friends, I suspect torment is populated with millions of people, some of which once sat in services of the Lord's church and heard the gospel, and they let it pass them by. There are people in eternity today who maybe have the last invitation song they ever heard running through their minds, and they regret. It's scary, isn't it? You might be thinking, why are you having a sermon like that on a day like this. This is a day that we're supposed to be happy and have joy and celebrate and have good things. And regret is such a negative thing. But I want to tell you, it's not always negative. Regret can be a very good thing. And did you know the theme of the Bible is saving man from sin? The theme of the Bible, Luke 19.10 says, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Today, the world is celebrating the birth of Jesus. Why did Jesus come into this world? It's because Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Jesus came because he is the answer to our regrets. He's the answer to our sin problem. And so here's the good news about regret. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10, the apostle Paul wrote this, For godly sorrow, that is regret, works repentance unto salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. Now it's interesting, the word sorrow is mentioned twice here. You've got one type of sorrow or regret that leads to repentance and godliness, and you've got another type of sorrow that ultimately leads to death and causes a person to be lost in hell. One type of sorrow, one type of regret is the type that causes a person to look back at the things that he's done and think, I am so sorry, I'm going to change. It is godly regret that works repentance. It makes a person change. You could do that this morning. You could have regret that makes you look back over your life and think, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to change. I want to be right with God. And though you might not be able to change earthly consequences, you can be as clean as the day you were born. White as snow, right in the sight of God, ready to spend eternity in heaven. Can you imagine how great it would be to reflect back over the last year, or the last five years, or the last ten years of your life, and not have any regrets? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking... Don, we all have regrets. We all have things that we look back on with shame and pain. But I want to suggest to you this morning that God has given us a way that we can minimize the number of regrets in our lives. And there's a decision that you can make today that will give you a new start, a fresh start, one in which you're clean and sinless and ready for better things to come. If you were here this morning... And you are not a child of God. You are about to make a decision. You are about to decide what to do with the invitation of the Lord. You will either accept it or you will reject it. One of those decisions is one that you will regret. And the other, you never will. In torment today, there are untold millions who regret their decision. Today, if you're not a Christian... The Bible teaches you can become a child of God, have your sins washed away, be clean, ready to spend eternity in heaven. The way you do that is by hearing the gospel, believing it, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ, and being baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Maybe you're here today as a Christian, but maybe you have regretted your life because you haven't been walking in the light You haven't been leading the example that you should. You haven't been living for Jesus. And maybe this morning you want to make some changes. Maybe you desire the prayers of your brethren. Maybe you need to publicly confess sin in your life. We would be honored if we could go to God and pray for you. This morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, won't you come as together we stand and sing the invitation song?